Our team at the Montana State News Bureau is back again at the Capitol following all the major action during the 90-day legislative session. From how Republicans navigate an historic supermajority to transformational decisions on spending billions in surplus and the fate of intense social bills. Listen here each week for everything you need to know about your state legislature. This is Big Sky Lead. Welcome back to Big Sky Lead, uh, where I talk with reporters from the Montana State News Bureau about the happenings at the state capitol as the Montana legislature meets. Uh, with me today is Holly Michaels, Sam Wilson, and Seaborn Larson. Sam, let's start with you. Um, at the end of last week, a House Budget Committee passed a package of Republican-backed legislation to spend about a billion dollars of the state's surplus and cut taxes for businesses and capital gains. Um, can you start by just explaining, you know, what's in this? Yeah, so um, I guess to kind of start off with, it's helpful to maybe differentiate between um, the types of proposals that are in there. So one one just covers the surplus, um, the one-time only money that's built up over the last two years. Um, currently, the state's sitting on a surplus of about $2.4 billion. Um, and then kind of the other side of this budget package is uh, is the ongoing spending. So how the state's collecting money, mostly through taxes moving forward. Um, so the biggest piece of this is going to be um, about a half a billion dollar uh, bill that addresses, that creates income tax rebates. Um, it was brought by uh, Representative Bill Mercer out of Billings, a, a Republican. And um, what the committee did last week, they took a, a proposal of his that had been sitting there for a little bit, and they stripped out um, proposals for property tax rebates and uh, and payments to pay down the state's debt. So all that's in there at this point is $480 million for income tax rebates. Um, and each taxpayer in the state would be eligible to for up to $1,250 um, over the course of their 2021-2022 tax liability. Um, And so that's been a pretty major priority for legislative leaders um, and something that has been a point of contention between Republicans in the legislature and Governor Gianforte. Um, So this kind of is probably the biggest piece of what legislative leadership has put forward uh, to date is that um, that really bigger focus on uh, providing tax rebates to income taxpayers. So does that mean Republican lawmakers and the governor um, have struck a deal on this spending? You know, we reported a couple weeks ago about kind of an incongruence between Republican legislators and the proposal coming from the governor's office. So have they have they met common ground there? Yeah, right now it looks like it at least. Um, so what they did during the committee, they inserted almost identical language into six different bills. So the one I just talked about, um, like I said, that's probably the biggest piece. Um, and that comes from legislative leadership. The other bills are ones that the governor has been proposing. Um, and Basically, what this mechanism does is if any one out of the six bills fails to make it into law at the end of the day, the other ones will have their effect cut in half. So mm-hmm. so we talked about um, you know up to $1,250 for um, income taxpayers, and that's going to pencil out to about $480 million um, that it's going to take out of that 
you know, that big surplus that's sitting in the state's account right now, um, that would be cut in half automatically if any of the other bills fail. So it kind of ties their fates together and okay. ensures that legislative leaders can't move forward with the bills they've identified as priorities and without also passing the governor's, or at least, you know, not without a substantial cost. Right, right. You know, and w- you know, what if what if anything are we hearing from the Democratic uh, Party? You know, on their proposals, um, are they getting any traction? Um, you know, and what are the Democrats? What's their criticism of you know these Republican bills, um, Republican uh, governor bills that are working through? Uh, so at this point, no, they're not really getting any traction. Is kind of the short answer. Um, the so one of the other bills in that package um this is this is part of the governor's priority um basically it would um provide property tax rebates to people who paid property taxes over the last two years um and uh that actually got cut down um a couple weeks ago in another committee um initially he was wanting to give two thousand dollars to property taxpayers um and this would cut that down to a thousand dollars um spread out over the course of two payments in two years. Um, and Democrats have argued that, you know, that basically just targets property owners, right? Mm-hmm. They're the only people that are paying taxes on property. Um, but, you know, but other people that rent, uh, for example, also are paying, you know, indirectly is, is how their argument goes. So they're, they've made a couple proposals that would basically target similar sort of tax rebates to rent payers. Um, and they had a couple opportunities actually in committee on Friday to, um, you know, they, there was an amendment that would have added that into one of the budget proposals and that failed along roughly party lines. And then similarly, another bill from the Democrats, um, would have done the same thing and that also failed. So, um, yeah, at, as it stands, uh, at least as far as this, you know, $1 billion chunk of the budget goes, um, this is pretty much just a Republican proposal at this right. point. And do you have more to share on um, the tax cuts, uh, you know, businesses and capital gains, like I mentioned earlier? Yeah. So I guess just real briefly, um, yeah, so there's a couple other pieces in there. Um, you know, the there's two spending proposals that the governor has identified as priorities. One would create um, basically what's called the Safer Roads and Bridges Program. It's a $100 million fund that would be used to match federal highway money. Um, you know, and they've, they've estimated that could be a, you know, a 13 to 87% match. So really leveraging a lot of federal funds. And that actually was the one piece that passed with uh, unanimous support from Republicans and Democrats on the committee. The other piece is um, $125 million to pay down the state's debt. And that's been, a, you know, identified as a pretty major priority for both legislative Republicans and the governor's office. So as far as taxes go, um, the two proposals that move forward, one would cut the business equipment tax in Montana, um, basically by increasing the exemption. Um, if it passes, businesses wouldn't have to pay any taxes on the first million dollars mm. of new equipment. Um, and currently that exemption is at $300,000. Um, and then the other piece of that, um, the other bill in the package would lower the capital gains rate that taxpayers have to pay. Hmm. Thanks, Sam. Holly, let's jump over to you. You reported on a couple of um, contentious hearings 
uh, the end of last week and the beginning of this week. Let's start with uh, SB 99 brought by Senator John Fuller of uh, Kalispell. Tell us what the bill is. Um, and, you know, it looks familiar, right? We've seen something like this come up before. Yeah. So last session, Fuller had a bill that was similar to this. What it aims to do is limit the types of care that transgender minors can receive in Montana. Um, that bill last session was voted down. Um, and so he's got this proposal again this time. This one goes a little bit farther than last session's bill. It does limit... Um, to say transgender minors can't receive um, you know, gender-affirming care in Montana. It talks about saying they can't receive gender-affirming surgeries, but I think it's pretty important to note that those surgeries aren't really done in Montana on right. minors. So it's something the bill mentions, but not something that's happening in practice. It also gets at the social transitioning that minors might do. Hmm. And how it does that is language that would stop public employees, which would be school teachers in this case, from encouraging if a kid would like to use different names or have like a different haircut or dress differently to engage in that. So it's last session's bill didn't have that piece on social transitioning. Okay. And so, you know, who did we hear come out in favor of the bill uh, last Friday? So we heard from people who as adults had had gender affirming surgery and said they later came to regret it. So not minors who this bill would affect, but people who did it when they were after 18. Hmm. We heard from doctors who were saying that you know, research that they've looked at says that minors aren't fully, you know, your brain's not fully formed until you're in your mid-20s. You're not able to make these complex decisions. Um, we also heard from parents who said that they were frustrated. They felt like school teachers, counselors had communicated with their kids in ways that they didn't like about gender discussions. Okay. Um, and what about opponents? Um, so we heard a good mix of people. Um, I think we had about 92 people testify against and about 44 for the bill. The opponents range from doctors who said they've worked with patients um, and that the care they've been able to provide, which is, you know, sometimes just talking, um, sometimes it's talking about more of those social transitions, sometimes it's hormonal therapy after puberty started, that that's had really good outcomes for kids. We've heard from kids themselves that, um, you know, not being able to get care because, you know, kids who talked to the committee were saying it's really hard to get care in Montana right now anyway. Um, one kid talked about wanting to start therapy and just it took them a year to get to the point where they were just starting now. Um, and just how much it's made their lives better. So, you know, people who've been been able to get treatment where they are able to get it in Montana or seeking it. We also heard a lot of people share, and this was on both sides, proponents and opponents, actually, a lot of discussion about um, suicidal thoughts that people would have. Mm. You know, people who on the proponent side had care and later regretted it. On the opponent side, people who were saying, you know, I just, it, I wasn't feeling okay because right. I couldn't get the care I needed. Right. Yeah. Now, in, can you can you kind of lay out where this discussion went into the idea of parental rights in schools? Yeah, it's interesting. It's something both sides bring up. So proponents, we heard from parents who said, you know, one person talked about their child had discussions with a counselor in school, and they later felt like their child was alienated from them. They later read that child's journal, and they were frustrated by some of the things the child described about talking with a counselor, mm -hmm. felt that that wasn't something that should have happened without their involvement. Um, but on the other side, you know, we people saying, and we heard several people say, um, Governor Greg Gianforte's State of the State speech language about parental rights, because that's something you talked about saying, the governor just said a couple days ago, parents should have rights to control everything that happens with their kids. And why would you want to get in the middle of a child 
and a parent being able to see a doctor, why is government injecting itself into that discussion at all? Hmm. So the other bill that you covered, uh, HB 303, was brought by Representative Amy Regeer, also of Kalispell. Um, this this is also one of those bills that the Republican Party has been trying to pass um, for some time. Uh, my understanding is it, 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 it allows doctors to not provide care that they morally, morally object to. Um, where's... Where's this bill coming from and why? Um, so, yeah, you're right. It is something we saw. Um, Representative Amy Regeer's father, Senator Keith Regeer, brought this bill last session. And like Fuller's, it also died. I think this one might have gone down in the Senate, if mm. I remember right. But, um, you know, so Amy Regeer is a nurse. And she was saying that she feels like medical providers, you know, you want a medical provider who stands by their morals. And sometimes that might be mean they would object to certain types of care based on their moral beliefs, religious beliefs, um, you know, just whatever their conscience would dictate. She also brought up the argument, um, and we hear both proponents and opponents make the argument just from different directions, that you know, Montana has a workforce shortage. And Amy Regeer was saying for healthcare workers, and I guess kind of all workers, but she was saying that this would help Montana recruit and retain people, sort of make it this, I think she said, a beacon of freedom hmm. for people who might have rejections, objections to providing certain types of care. Okay. Um, will you give us the, the same rundown on this, proponents, opponents? Yeah, so on the proponent side, you know, we heard from groups um, with religious affiliations, the Catholic Conference, the Montana Family Foundation. They actually brought up a case of a pharmacist in Broadus who in 2007 and 2008 decided he was not going to prescribe birth control hmm. because of objections. Um, I think it's important to clarify there too, birth control often, you know, people will say that it causes abortions. It doesn't. That's not how the mechanics of birth control work. Right. It just stops fertilization. But right. he brought those concerns and was actually brought in front of the pharmacy board because complaints, and he was never um, punished or anything, but it kind of brought up this issue of religious freedom and medical care. Um, and we heard from OBGYNs who, one woman from Bozeman said, you know, I had a really hard time finding a residency program where I didn't have to learn to do abortions. But then she also said, you know, she's worked in Bozeman for two decades, hasn't had to provide abortions. They don't do them mm -hmm. at the hospital there, but she has fears. You know, there's discussions that that may change someday. So just providers saying, look, we have we have these strongly held beliefs that are important to us, and we would like to be able to adhere to them. So, right. Okay. Yeah. Um, and have either of those bills been voted on by committees? No, they haven't. Um, do you want to get a little bit into opponents to that bill? Um, oh, heard, yeah. Yeah, we heard from also doctors um, who said a bunch of different things. They were saying, first and foremost, that there are already processes through hospital ethics boards to be able to, if you object to a certain kind of care, not provide it. Um, you know, they're saying also, though, like, it's the Hippocratic Oath, you need to care for patients, and you harm them. Um, we also heard from people saying this builds a lot of broad legal immunity it would put into place hmm. that would really open up and made hospitals pretty nervous, businesses nervous about you know, if someone comes in and there's an objection and there are emergency provisions in the rule, but you know, it's medical care, things happen very quickly. Right. Who knows what's happening? Someone objects to care. If that patient dies, what does that look like? There's protections for the doctor, but would hospitals be held liable? Um, Someone who runs a small um, business that does hospitalists for pediatrics in Missoula was saying that they were worried, what if we hire someone who then brings up they object to maybe giving vaccines or something, and that's one of three providers that really hampers our ability to do our jobs in this clinic and run our business. But 
we can't really fire that person because they would have an action right in under this bill. Um, so you just you know similar objections to saying you know there are already processes in place that protect this, and you know we understand these are very important things to people, and there should be a way to have these objections, but. It shouldn't be legislated. It's something we handle within the profession. So, right, yeah. Um, Senate Bill ninety nine, the one on transgender minors, that the one you were speaking, the yeah. first one you were speaking yep. about today. Okay, that cleared a committee today on a party line vote. Okay, um, I think that was pretty expected, and we'll see that on the Senate floor soon. Uh, House Bill three hundred three just had its initial hearing, and it has not been um, voted on yet. So. Okay, and one other important thing I think to talk about there, a lot of opponents talked about. This would allow doctors to discriminate. And Representative Amy Regeer, this came up over and over, was really clear to say, we want this to be about the procedure, not the person. So it's about abortion, not the person getting an abortion. And abortion is like a specific part of that bill. And that's another thing to note, too, is state law already allows anyone for any reason, medical provider, to not provide an abortion um, mm. without any emergency provisions or anything included. So that's already in law. But... Um, so we heard that we heard though from opponents that some people like the type of care, the procedure is very specific to the person. So Representative Zoe Zephyr, who's the first trans woman legislator in Montana, was saying that type of care that I receive is very specific to who I am. So in some cases, I don't think you can separate patient from procedure. So right back to yeah. back to this this idea that it's about the procedure, not the patient. Totally. Okay. Yeah. Well, thanks, Holly um, Seaborn. Let's jump to you. Um, a freshman legislator's employer uh, has been in a long-time dispute with the state auditor's office. Uh, this legislator, uh, Representative Nellie Nickel, last week introduced a bill that would essentially defund two positions in the state auditor's office. Uh, what's going on here, Seaborn? Yeah, so I think I'm going to start off with some important background here. Uh, Nichols, a Republican from Billings, and she's on the board of directors at Victory Insurance Company, which uh, does workers' compensation. So roughly a month ago, the state auditor's office, uh, which oversees the insurance industry, proposed a $2.7 million fine against that company for allegedly misrepresenting to its customers. In 2019, the Victory was transferring their policies to a totally different company. According to the auditor's office, uh, Victory had told those customers that their policies were being upgraded and that those customers never really had a chance to shop around for different policies. So Victory Insurance's attorney told me uh, this week that there's no truth to those allegations. And meanwhile, at the same time, uh, Victory Insurance appealed a district court ruling from a case in which they're suing the auditor's office to push back against um, some of the, I guess, the auditor's jurisdiction and, and attempts to sort of effect, effectuate regula regulation um, on this company. And so mm. uh, that is actually also related to um, sort of the agreement with that other company that I just mentioned and, and how that agreement broke down and um, some things in there that the office uh, or the auditor's office had um, said were actual violations of state law as well. So oh, kind no. of boiling this down, this, these are just kind of um, the latest examples in about a decade worth of exchanges between uh, the state auditor's office and uh, Victory. And typically how those go is, you know, the you know, after looking through about 10 years of litigation there, the Victory Insurance will sort of, um, you know, receive some notice from the state auditor's office that uh, they've crossed some regulatory line, and then they'll take that into court and with some varying degrees of success. I haven't, I haven't seen any major wins in any of those cases. And so 
uh, major wins on behalf of Victory Insurance. Correct. And so okay. uh, now Nicola is a Republican, but um, kind of the disputes and the, the timeline here um, actually span three state auditors, including um, a Democrat and two Republicans. So this sounds like kind of a, a longstanding contentious relationship. Um, why has that come up in this bill? So Nichols House Bill 277 would eliminate a funding source for two regulatory positions at the state auditor's office. Um, so currently the law requires the state fund, which is this quasi-public-private uh, workers' compensation program, to pay for those two positions out of its surplus. The legislature put that back in put that into law um, back in 2015 when uh, they put the state fund under the purview of the state auditor's office for regulation. So, um, you know, according to the auditor's office, those regulators examine the whole industry, not just the state fund. And so, uh, still though, you know, Representative Nichols said her bill would try to eliminate the conflict of interest between the state fund and the auditor's office. An entity kind of paying for its own regulators uh, doesn't really look good. But she also took that opportunity um, in that hearing last week to sort of go after the the state auditor's office. Okay, in what way? So during the hearing and actually in an interview with me later on, um, she had sort of likened the auditor's office to um, a, quote, bad cop who uh, pulls somebody over and gives them a speeding ticket um, regardless of whether they're speeding, Mm. just as a way to sort of draw – organizations into disputes and then um, usually walk away with some fines. The state auditor's office um, has really disputed that characterization and and told me this week that they've um, earned the respect of the insurance agency for um, kind of their fairness in in, uh, meeting out regulatory efforts. So during that hearing last week, Representative Nickel did disclose to the House Business and Labor Committee that uh, her company is in direct competition with the state fund, which is one of the uh, parties involved in this bill, but she did not. Um, she did not mention the sort of longstanding dispute with uh, the regulator who she would be seeking to to at least remove the funding for two regulatory positions. So, in Montana, they like to call it a citizen legislature. You know, bill discussions generally benefit from including people who work in those industries, right? Um, so, doesn't that mean those gray areas are kind of you know, baked into the process, those conflict of interest gray areas. Right. And I think, you know, we see a lot of um, lawmakers who are, uh, you know, homeowners or own uh, rental units. And, uh, you know, this thing does seem to come up in the legislature pretty pretty often. But I think, you know, in talking to some other legislators around the Capitol this last week, uh, you know, they said generally the idea is that um, when when legislation like that, like the landlord example, when laws kind of change the rules for everybody, uh, the, there's no conflict of interest there, but it, it does sort of veer that direction as soon as you propose laws that sort of benefit, um, you know, your own interests. And so mm-hmm. I wanted to dig into this just because I had some questions about whether this was, you know, at least had any appearance of retaliation for that decade-long dispute between Victory Insurance and the state auditor's office. I mean, even that $2.7 million fine uh, last month, I think, kind of raised some eyebrows for me, at least. And so, um, you know, Nickel had actually run for state auditor's office, the state auditor's office, back in 2020 uh, and lost out to the primary that year to um, uh, Troy Downing. Troy Downing, correct. Mm -hmm. And so... 
Um, so I asked Representative Nicole about it, and she kind of uh, held up that narrative again of the bad cop of the bogus speeding tickets. Um, you know, Nichols said she wanted to get elected to the state auditor's office so she could clean up um, sort of the regulatory uh, uh, efforts there, um, which, again, she had, you know, sort of described as this guilty before, before proven innocent system. And so, um, and she actually told me before that she, she int- before she introduced this bill last week, she'd actually been approached and threatened by the state auditor's office, told to stop asking questions. She had gone through the legislative audit division, which um, is sort of this arm of the legislature that is able to um, gather information from the agencies in the executive branch to help lawmakers kind of develop legislation. Um, You know, the state auditor's office told me that um, that story was entirely false, that they they haven't threatened uh, Representative Nickel in any way, um, kind of in this in this latest episode, there's this confrontation kind of swirling around in the background as Representative Nickel brings this legislation that has to do with workers' compensation and the state auditor's office. Okay, so is there a conflict of interest here? You know, as a reporter, I don't know that um, it's really my job to declare something like that. Uh, this bill didn't really seem to fully cross that line. Nickel told me she's going to um, bring an amendment that would replace the funding for uh, those two positions, so it wouldn't simply just strip it away. But, um, you know, there was this moment when I asked her if her legislative, legislative leadership had warned her or asked her not to bring any legislation related to the state auditor's office, and she paused before declining to comment on that. Hmm. And I uh, I thought that was telling. Hmm. All right. Well, thanks, Seaborn. Um, and the rest of you guys, uh, that's been another episode of Big Sky Lead.